At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non-toxic, non-flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco-friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. What's up, guys? I haven't done a little micro-podcast in a while, so I thought I'd get on and do one on a call I did last week that was very, very interesting. Now, I'm in a room. There's some airflow moving. You might be able to hear that in the background. I'm just sitting here waiting for this machine to start up on a time delay. I figured I'd get the intro done to this podcast. Now, as I do this podcast, each segment might have a different background noise because I'm moving around the building doing different things today. So the call I did last week was on a heater chiller for process. Now, when I say process, it means it's part of a manufacturing process. Now, this heater chiller, it's called a heater chiller because the process line can be heated or it can be cooled, depending on what the process is for that specific job or batch that they're working on. Now, the problem was, or the problem I was told that the machine was doing is during the process to heat the line, Okay, they're trying to heat the line to 80 degrees Celsius. This is a, a Canadian manufacturing plant, so I've got to use Celsius because that's the terminology that was given. It's just easier for me to speak that way. So, I mean, we're, we're, we're getting close to boiling point. Not quite there, but we're getting close. So, as they were trying to heat that loop up to 80 degrees Celsius, when it got to about 60, it shut down. The whole machine shut down. Now, typically they said it, it takes about an hour to get to that point. So within that hour, something was happening for it to shut down. And when I got there, we couldn't mimic the exact process that they were that they were going through when this was happening, but we mimicked it the best we could to the best of our abilities that day. And I think we came down or came up with a solution as to why it's happening. So stay tuned and I'll let you know what I did and what I think happened. So the first thing we should do with any service call really is a visual inspection. Inspect the surroundings, inspect the machinery. Now, when I first walked into where this chiller was, it was in an enclosed room. It had a high ceiling, but it was an enclosed room next to another process machine that also generates heat when it's working. Now, the first thing I said to myself is, hmm, this is air-cooled. How is the warm air escaping this room? That was the first thought I had. Now, the customer also thought this. And they pulled off the side panel of the chiller because the way it works is the coil is on the outside and the condenser fans pull the air through the coil and blow it across the piping and compressor of the chiller and then basically up through a a grill or a perforated lid of, of the chiller. So they pulled the side panel off, which would help actually relieve that hot air a lot faster, which, which is actually a good idea. So, after my visual, the compressor, the piping, the pumps, the electrical, which was pristine, by the way, because it's wired up from the factory and it's just, it's, it's pristine wiring. I checked some connections, made sure they were tight and all that. And after that, I checked primary power to make sure the power was correct coming into the machine. These are, these are the steps you got to go through on a service call before you start the machine up, right? Now, the next step was to start the machine up. 
So there's three buttons on this pump. There's a system pump, compressor, and process pump. So in in this order, you have to start it. So you hit the system pump. Basically, that runs the glycol through the chiller loop. Okay. Once that's up and running, just wait a couple minutes. Make sure everything's good. The pressures are good because there's there's actually pressure gauges on the side of the the chiller itself. Once that's up and running, you hit the compressor button. That starts up the compressor. Now, what that's going to do is it's going to try to reach set point of the chiller zone. So the chiller zone has its own set point and the process has its own set point. So the chiller zone set point is on the machine at the side and that was set to two degrees Celsius. So the compressor is going to run till it gets to two degrees Celsius. And when it gets there, what it's going to do is go into partial load and keep the compressor running. It doesn't want to cycle that compressor off because you're in a process and you need to, because you're running a process, you need to keep that chiller zone kind of where it is in case you need to inject cold water or cold glycol into that process loop. So if we cycled the compressor off and we had a time delay, um, that could throw things off a lot. Okay. Uh, so what they did is they, they keep the compressor running when it goes into partial load It closes the liquid line the liquid line solenoid closes and it opens up a hot gas bypass and starts to feed To can to keep the flow going enough so it won't trip on low pressure So we got down to two degrees in about half an hour and we watched it run and everything was fine for about an hour And then we hit the process pump button. I'll tell you what happened when we hit that button so on this next segment, just so you guys know, I refer to rule of thumb of discharge temp being 225 degrees. But what I meant to say was the maximum discharge temp you should see, the rule of thumb is 225 degrees. I just want to clear that up so when you guys are listening to this segment, you have a grasp and understanding of what I meant to say. So we hit that process pump button. Process pump started no problem. The loop the process loop was set to 80 degrees C, and like I said earlier, the compressor was shutting down and shutting the machine down. The entire machine just shut, shuts down about an hour into it. So we had to figure out kind of why, but we couldn't hook up the, uh, the process tank. That, that was in the other room. We basically had to bypass the tank and just loop the piping back, so it was going in and out of the chiller. We still created a loop that we could heat, but it wasn't the exact process, but it was what we had to work with. So set to 80 degrees, we got up there very quick in about half an hour because we had no load on it, right? The tank wasn't hooked up. And what I noticed during this time is that the compressor, or sorry, the, the, chiller, the chiller system, what happens is when it hits that, that chiller zone set point, it goes into partial load. So when it was in partial load, the solenoid valve closes. The hot gas by bypass valve opens up to allow flow so it doesn't shut off on low pressure. This is how we make the, the compressor run continuously so it's not shutting down. If we shut it down and then we have to wait for a time delay, it could screw everything up, right? So I noticed the superheat was was 90% of the time was around 45 degrees because it was in partial load 90% of the time feeding hot gas. Once in a while, it would go into full load 10% of the time, maybe, and the compressor would get a quick injection of refrigerant moving through the evaporator. The superheat would drop, not for very long. It would drop to get a, 
a short blast of cooling, I guess, if you will, a short little break from, from the superheat it was getting. But during this time, the discharge temperature was creeping up. Now, rule of thumb for discharge line temp is 225 degrees. We were above 215 at one point. And I'm like, I don't like this. And I think I know what's happening. This is like half an hour in or, or, or whatever into this process loop running. I said, if it takes an hour and a half or so to get to your 80 degrees during regular process, this compressor is smoking hot. It's going to be smoking hot by the time you get there. And it's probably shutting off on internals. That would be my guess. Just going off of what I see, the readings I'm getting, and and what I know a compressor will do if it gets too hot. And he says, that makes sense because when it shuts down, I come over here, I touch the compressor and it's like smoking hot. And I said, where are you touching it? Because the top of a compressor is always smoking hot, a scroll compressor. It's always smoking hot. The body's usually, uh, could be the temperature of your hand. It could be slightly warmer, slightly colder, depending on what it is. But it's usually, it's, it's, it's not as hot, the body of the compressor. So he said he touched the body and it was, it was smoking hot. I'm like, this is what's happening. A hundred percent, this is what's happening. So we have to figure out a way that this won't happen. And full disclosure, this chiller is not designed, wasn't designed exactly for this process. They just kind of threw it in there because they had it. It was a spare. They threw it in there and they were, they were trying to make it work. So it's not really designed to run at these temperatures from what I understand, but they're trying to make it work. So we made a change and it helped. I'll tell you what that change was in one sec. All right, I'm on the roof now, and I just roped up a box of filters, and I think I need a full-time apprentice for this stuff, man. It's just getting <laughs> it's getting too old for this stuff. Anyway, guys, Blue On App, like I've said in the past, badass, a whole bunch of tools on there, conversion instructions, manuals for 20,000-plus units. So I highly recommend you guys download the Blue On App, get accredited, do their little quiz, and have access to it, and then when... TDX 20 rolls through and you guys have an opportunity to try it to replace the R22 At least you have some background info on the app and what they're all about now. It was cool We had a discussion on the stainless steel TX valve from Danfoss the TU series uh, TX valve now I posted it up and I didn't know that you didn't have to wrap it when you brazed and there's people saying well I'd still wrap it It was an interesting discussion. So I did some digging and I found out that they do some demos where a salesperson or a trainer will actually hold the TXV in their hand and, and heat it up with a torch and still holding it. What I found out was that stainless steel, it, it doesn't transfer heat as fast. 11 times slower actually is how it transfers heat across the body of the valve because it's stainless steel, which is very, very interesting. Somebody mentioned something on Instagram where they said, if you wrap it, it actually will heat slower now and you could actually cause damage to the valve because you're wrapping it. So the instructions are don't wrap it with anything and just braise it up. Very interesting. Do some research on it, guys. It's the TU stainless steel TX valve from Danfoss and there's a couple of YouTube videos on it. There was one actually from Danfoss that I watched. It's about 11 minutes long. 
pretty educational on that valve itself. Housecall Pro has a new landing page set up, housecallpro.com forward slash HVAC know-it-all if you guys are interested in going into the future with your paperless software, invoicing, dispatching, taking payment at the door, so on and so forth. And as I've mentioned before, guys, I'll be at the NAVAC booth at the CMPX show with Andrew Greaves. We're going to be giving away a cordless vacuum pump or cordless flaring tool. All you got to say is know-it-all, pop by and say know-it-all, and you'll be entered to win that prize. Let's get back to the podcast. This segment of the podcast is brought to you by Harago, a trades-only platform helping you find the right job or the right candidate. Harago.com, best in trade. All right, so before I go on and tell you the changes we made, just let me tell you, this is why I completely love the future of this trade when it comes to smart tools. Now, I brought in some stuff to help me because I was gonna take my time and troubleshoot and go through the motions and check everything. So I brought in my thermal gun, the Fleer E8 XT. Now, it's, it's an expensive thermal gun, yeah, and most techs aren't going to go out and buy that one, but they have less expensive versions or less expensive thermal cameras you can utilize on a daily basis. And I used it to take snapshots of the compressor, the temperature of the body, the temperature of, of the top, just to get a snapshot, show the customer what was happening. The other tool I brought in was my Testo Gen 2 smart probes. Hooked them up to the app, and I was showing the customer everything that was happening. And because on my phone... Each reading is its own individual color-coded block. So we have the pressures in their own block, saturated temps, actual line temps, superheat subcooling. I could point to each one as it was changing and tell him, this is what I'm looking at, this is what I'm doing, and this is why. So I utilized those two tools during the entire, during the entire troubleshooting process. So just so you guys know, it's a Mocon chiller, Mocon heater chiller. So rule of thumb with these things, and and Mocon's actually based in Buffalo, New York, in the US. Rule of thumb on these things is when you're setting up your chiller zone temperature, you go to the lowest set point. And that was what I was taught by the trainer that came up and showed me how to run these things and work these things and give me a once-over. He spent the day with me, and it was it was a really good opportunity because he came up, we went through a couple machines, and and that was my training on these things. So rule of thumb, set that chiller zone to as low as you can possibly go. Now, it was set at 2 degrees Celsius. Now, we went as low as we could go. It went to minus 7 degrees Celsius. There was glycol. The chiller was utilizing glycol, so that was safe to do so. When we did that, we were putting more of a load on the chiller because it's trying to get down there, and it was it was struggling to get down. It was getting there, but it was taking a long time, slow drop to get to that point. And because we were putting more of a load on it, it actually stabilized everything. It ran in partial load way less, way, way, way less, like 10% of the time instead of 90% of the time. So my superheat was stable, right? It was about five degrees of superheat. I know that's lower than a lot of you guys want to see out there, but I'll tell you one thing is that 
I don't want to increase it and then increase my discharge line temp because my discharge line temp was sitting at around 200 because we got that down as well to about 200. And I don't want to increase the superheat and have my discharge line temp start to creep up again. So I was, I was totally fine with the five degrees of superheat. So that stabilized everything just by putting the chiller zone temp down to minus seven degrees Celsius. And one other thing that I should mention is because we did that, the compressor started to frost up on the suction side. Not a big deal. Not a big deal at all because we're running, we're basically, we basically created a freezer on the chiller zone by dropping the temp below zero or into, into freezing temps. Not a big deal at all. And because, because our process loop got to 80 degrees C, when it got to 80 degrees C, in order to maintain that, and this is why the compressor needs to run all the time and maintain that, that chiller loop, because when it gets to that 80 degrees C, what it does is it opens up a solenoid between the process loop and the chiller loop, and it adds chilled glycol into the process loop to keep the set point of the chiller loop from overheating. And every time it does that, it gets rid of, it gets rid of, uh, the chilled glycol and it's, it gets added to the, the, the heated glycol, the heated glycol in the process loop gets added back to the chiller loop. So we're adding, we're adding a bit of load to it. So it's always running and working to try to bring that back down to minus seven. So that's how we fixed it. That's how we got through stabilizing the entire system and it worked so what what the customer is going to do the next time they run the batch he's going to set it up exactly the way we had it set up and he's going to get a hold of me when they're done and let me know if everything went well but i think it will because of of that change we went to the rule of thumb that mocon has has asked me to do in the past and we stabilized the readings we didn't increase our superheat to the level it was at before and we didn't increase our discharge line temp actual line temp to the way it was before we kind of brought those down and stabilized them anyway guys that's just a little quick podcast on how superheat and discharge line temp they kind of go hand in hand you increase your superheat you're going to increase your discharge line temp the hotter you get the hotter the compressor is going to run and more problems you're going to create so that was kind of the moral of the story here i'm out happy hvacking